Hi, this is Michael Buffer, and welcome to the Box Hard Podcast. Hello, everyone. This is Mikey Garcia. Yo, it's your boy, the odd guy himself, Malik King Scott. Hi, I'm Charlie Edwards. This is Fast Eddie Chambers, and you're listening to the Box Hard Podcast with my main man, Joey Coastman. Hello everybody and welcome to episode 133 of the Box Hard Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Coastman. I'm joined as always by my partner in crime, Mr. Ayers. Sumra Ayers, how are you doing? I'm good, Joey. Yourself? Very good, my friend. Very good. Right, there's lots and lots to go over, so let's dive straight into the reviewing. Really quickly, we're going to start at the Ice Sheffield this week in Sheffield, Yorkshire. Um... What do we have here? We have just one fight to mention, really. Um, Liam Cameron, he was, and still is actually, the Commonwealth middleweight champion. He went into his fight with a record of 20-5. and five. He took on Nicky Gemman, who was 20-10 and 10 with one draw. Now, Nicky Gemman actually came in overweight, so the title was only on the line for the already champion, Liam Cameron. So he successfully defended his belt with a TKO in round two, and... Um, Gemman was down also prior to the stoppage there, so a good win there for Liam Cameron. All the very best to him. Moving over now to France, this was that bizarre fight where Vincent Legrand, 26-0, ended up fighting for the vacant EBU European flyweight title against Juan Hinostroza, who had a record of 7-8 and eight with one draw, a losing record. Anyway, Vincent Legrand actually looked pretty bad here because, on paper, he went 20 12 rounds with this guy who was 7 and 8. Um, he won pretty much every round, but even still, I mean, a real, real, real mismatch in terms of both of the guys' records. I mean, Vincent Legrand, like I say, he was supposed to take on Andrew Selby, and he ends up going the distance with this guy here. But to this guy's credit, he's never been stopped in his nine losses now. So all the very best to the new EBU flyweight champion, uh, Mr. Vincent Legrand. Um, Moving over now to the... Baden Arena in Germany. One fight, to, no, two fights to mention over here. Former opponent of Callum Smith, Nicky Holsken. He moved to 14 and 1. It was a TKO in round three against Bernard Donfak. Um, I haven't heard of him before, but anyway, his record now 23 and 19 with four draws. All the very best to Nicky Holsken there. Also on this bill, the main event here, Arthur Abraham, former world champion, 46 and 6. He actually picked up a belt here. He picked up the vacant WBO international super middleweight title. It was a split decision over 12 rounds against Patrick Nielsen, the guy that John Ryder knocked out with a brutal, 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 brutal right hook, I think it was now, um, on the on the Jamie Cox and George Groves undercard at Wembley Arena. Um, so yeah, split decision win there over 12 rounds for Arthur Abraham. It just makes John Ryder's win over Patrick Nielsen look really, really good. Um, contender of knockout for the year, I remember that one. Moving over now to another part of Germany. This one is at the Stad Hall. Um, one fight to mention over here. Erkan Tepper, 18-2, and two, moved to 19-2. and two. He knocked out a guy called David Gorgaladze, who is now 16-11. and 11. It was a TKO in round two in favour of Erkan Tepper. So a good win for him there. We all know him, of course, for his fight with David Price, where he brutally knocked Price out there and then, you know, went on to foul some kind of doping test. Um, also, elsewhere now, going over to Hungary, 
in a venue that I'm not even going to try to pronounce. I believe Prince Patel, 12-0 and 0 with one draw. I'm not quite sure of who his opponent was, but he, he fought for the vacant WBO European, um, I think it was bantamweight title. I, I can't seem to find, you know, find the fight online or anything, but apparently he knocked the guy out in about 18 seconds of the first round. So there we go, we've got a new... Um, WBO European champion Prince Patel 13-0 with one draw his record now the new champion moving over now to Bilbao in um, in the Bilbao arena in Spain this one was a really hard um, a hard fight really to digest I'm going to start with the with the undercard though um our very own boy Jones Jr. He moved to 16 wins. He's got the one loss. He's got the one draw. It was a points win over six rounds against Stefan Nikolai, who had a record of two and nine. Now two and ten. Uh, also on this bill, a, a good fight actually, a real a real war between Andoni Gargo, a former opponent of Lee Selby. He got the win in the end. His record now 19 and three with three draws. He had a great war with the previously undefeated Jeffrey Dos Santos, 11 and 0. It was for the vacant EBU European Union featherweight title. But I was really pleased for Gargo because he had to come through some some um, well. How can I put it? Some deep water, to say the least, I believe. Um, you know, it was quite a war, like I say. And Andoni Gargo really showed his toughness there. He came into the fight with a Mohican, and he fought like a guy on a mission, to be honest. So I'm pleased for him. And the main event over here, the previously, I want to say, unknown quantity, I think, sums it up best. Kerman Leharaga. He went into this bout with a record of 24 and 0. He took on our very own Bradley Skeet, 27 and 1. That one loss to Frankie Gavin, quite a, you know, quite a while ago now. It was a highly disputed loss as well that that night. I remember back in the XL Arena, I think it was. Anyway. It ended up being a really short night, and it ended up being a really disappointing night for Bradley Ski. A TKO in round two for Kerman Leharaga. He now moves to 25-0, and and he also becomes the new EBU European welterweight champion. It was vacant before the fight, so he picks up that belt there. Bradley Skeet now, like I say, 27-2. and I think he's 30 years of age now as well, so 29 fights, 27 wins, 2 losses. Um... I mean, this fight here, it was it was hard to you know to take. Like I say, um, it was a hostile venue. I, I, you know, I see Bradley Skeet walking out, and he seemed like I don't want to say he seemed nervous because he had his hood up, he had his arms on his trainer Alan Smith's shoulders, and he just kind of kept his head down. It wasn't the most confident of entrances, but anyway, the actual fight itself. I mean, Bradley kept walking in to Leharaga's jabs in round one, and that was quite. Um, surprising for me because you know Bradley's really elusive he's hard to hit but he just could not stop walking into um, Leharaga's jabs that seemed to be quite slow you know Bradley Ski also ended that round with a mouse under his eye I think it was his right eye um, you know it was a close round but like I say he already got marked up in that first round that wasn't a good start for him and then in the second round he got off with, I mean, even in the first round, he did get off with quite a few jabs of his own, but I'd still I'd still probably say, even though the, the round was close, I'd probably give it to Leharaga. Now, in round two, Skeet was actually controlling the round. I mean, he was doing quite well. He was, you know, he was judging the distance well. He was flicking out the jab, and then he seemed to get caught with a bit of a looping shot, and he seemed like his feet were not positioned correctly and it made him wobble and he decided it looked like he decided to take a knee after the shot so it was really surprising initially and then when he got back up 
Leharaga completely steamed in and landed a body shot, which then really, really did put a dent in Skeet, and Skeet took a knee again. And at that point, you could see Skeet was really, really in pain. He was, you know, he was wincing, and I just thought, wow, like, what's just happened? I was shocked. I couldn't, couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then he did, he did bravely get up again for the second time, but within a few more seconds, he took another knee after a small onslaught from Leharaga. Wow, I mean... That was it. The you know the towel come flying in. The referee waved it off. I don't know what really to say about this. To be honest, I don't know if Skeet was caught cold. I don't know if the crowd, um, you know, the, the hostility that he could feel. I don't know if that played a part in it. I don't know if Skeet was simply overlooking this guy and thinking that he'd win easy. But unfortunately, none of that matters, of course. And and I believe now, Skeet, who was really banging on the door for a world title shot, we all know that he, you know. He pretty much had that fight with Jeff Horn, aside from it being signed. That fight was there for him. Well, now it seems like his world title shot has, you know, it's it's evaporated into thin air, really. But I'm completely gutted for Bradley Skeet, because he's obviously um, one of the nicest guys in boxing, to be honest. I know that you can overuse that, because there are so many good guys, but he is truly one of the best. And I really hope he got well paid, to be honest, because... you know, that's a tough, tough, tough loss to take there at that kind of level as well. And it just, I mean, boy, I just can't believe it still. I really can't. It, it was really quite hard to watch. I mean, Leharaga, everybody's going wild about him now. And it looks unbelievable on paper, you know, to, to see what he's done there. But I just don't know. It didn't look like the usual Bradley Ski. And like I say, you know, we can all think of a million reasons. But unfortunately, none of those reasons matter. He, he simply lost the fight, Bradley Ski, and in devastating fashion. Um, one of the things that, uh, you know, that I will say is I did reach out to Bradley Ski after the fight. I did just kind of say, look, you know, keep your head up kind of thing. And he replied to me. And he sent me a text back. I think it was on Monday of this week. I don't think he was really with his phone after the loss. Obviously, still being out in Spain. And he sent me a message back. He said, I'm absolutely gutted, bro. I got caught and I just didn't get going. I'll bounce back and I'll go again. Thank you for your support as always, bro. Catch up soon. So, um, you know, I'm sure that all the all the listeners, myself and I, has all wish Bradley Skeet the very best of luck with his comeback. But it's going to be very tough to come back from this. It really is. I'd like to see a rematch, but then again, I think, I think, in other news, Frankie Gavin is actually mandatory for that belt, so, you know, that could perhaps reignite Frankie Gavin's career. Um, moving over now, though, to the Temple Park Leisure Centre in South Shields, Tynham, where United Kingdom. One fight to mention over here, Anthony Nelson moved to 12-1. and It was a points win over six rounds against Simas Volosinas, which is quite a cool name, actually. Um, he's a journeyman, by the way, but yeah, good win there for Anthony Nelson, he banked the rounds there, that's his last fight before he takes on Charlie Edwards, who was on last week's show, so um, yeah, he's he's come through that fight with flying colours, and he will take on Charlie Edwards in June in Newcastle on the, you know, the Josh Kelly card and the rest of it. Uh, moving over now, though, to the Barclays Centre in Brooklyn, New York, USA, this one was the big, the big fight, or the big card of the weekend, I suppose, um... Let's start with the debut of Danny R. 
your Lusinov has obviously what like I say he's a you know he's, he's just signed with Eddie Hearn. He was an Olympic gold medalist. He took on a guy called Noah Kidd who was actually undefeated, three and zero with one draw going in. It ended up being a TKO in round three. Now Noah Kidd, I can't remember what stance he was. I think he was even a southpaw, so we didn't know too much about him. And he came to give it a go, and he was very tough as well. I think he was down once or twice before the stoppage, but a great win there, a good start there for Yulusinov. What did you make of that one, Ayaz? Great fight. It's what a knockout that I saw. Um, first, when he dropped him first round with a right hand, the way he knocked him off, he, off he knocked him out, KO'd him. But fair place, the guy got him, and then obviously, 15 seconds down, uh, 15 seconds later, Yulusinov just knocked him down, knocked him out uh, with a great body shot. I'll tell you one thing, I think Yulusinov will go, will go a long way up. I think I think he's a star in the future. He's with Eddie Hearn, which I think is going to make him into a star. Yeah, big rumours about Yulusinov fighting at York Hall actually in the in the next couple of months. I think there's been a fight poster that seems to have been leaked online. So I think Yulusinov's going to be fighting um, with a bunch of the Olympians on on a York Hall card, which I always enjoy. Hopefully, I'll be at that one. Um, Moving up the bill once again, Katie Taylor, 8-0. She took on Victoria Bustos, 18-4. Of course, it was a unification. Katie Taylor with the WBA lightweight world title and Bustos with the IBF world female lightweight title. Now, it was a good fight. I mean, um, Katie Taylor, I suppose, was probably pushed further than she's been in any previous professional fights um bustos was a really tough lady she she came and gave it a right go she really did i mean i don't think you could you could really say she won a round i think that i think the judges maybe gave her one or two rounds so that was nice but i think that was quite lenient i think she pretty much lost every round obviously when katie taylor fights you just see the you know the difference in levels katie taylor it almost reminds me of a man when she's fighting i almost feel like I feel like it's unfair when she takes on these these other ladies. She just she's on a completely different level, it would seem. So, you know, at the moment she's just steamrolling everybody, not necessarily knocking them out. She's getting the rounds in, which I suppose is a good thing as well. But I mean, it was a vintage Katie Taylor performance, I suppose, in which she pretty much dominated everything, and she picks up another title. So she's now got two belts in the lightweight division. Um, there's many big fights for her down the line with some of the big names in boxing in the female side of the sport, but this wasn't that. It wasn't a big name. It was just simply for another for another belt. So um, credit to her. Like I say, she had to show some toughness herself, and she came through with flying colours. So, yeah, the uh, the Katie Taylor train carries on marching, or carries on, um, I don't know what the word is, carries on going, yeah, I suppose. Um, also on this bill, big baby Jarrell Miller, 20-0 and 0 with one draw, took on Johan Duapas, 37-4. Now, the, the interesting thing is, on this card that was actually shown on HBO and, of course, on Sky, the only... I mean, they showed the Yulusinov fight, but it wasn't live. And then they showed you three live fights. All three of them went the distance. It was it was a total of 34 rounds. Obviously, a 10-round fight with Katie Taylor, and then followed by two 12-rounders. But the first one, like I say, Big Baby Miller, I mean, oh boy, oh boy. The first couple of rounds, I think Miller was all over Duapas. And then... In the third and fourth rounds, Duapas managed to get his jab working and he landed some eye-catching shots of his own. I think that Big Baby came in over, I think it was just over 300 pounds yet again. I think it's the second or third time he's weighed in so heavy in his career. And it's weird because, you know, it, it seems to work for him. 
to some degree. He's he's got a lot of skills about him, but you just you know if he lost quite a lot of weight, you you can't you can't sort of imagine that being a bad thing for him. But he does show up in these you know in these incredibly um, you know heavy weights, and he does manage to actually look pretty decent. It doesn't seem to slow him down. He likes to fight at a high pace, and he's able to do that whether he's three hundred pounds or not. But, um, yeah, the fight did really drag, you know, it really did drag, and I'm not sure if it was the styles, it was a poor clash of styles or whatever, but two or three fights in a row now I've counted that that I've seen from Big Baby Miller that have really been hard to, you know, to watch, they've really just been, been hard to keep entertained for. Now, over the course of the fight, Big Baby Miller did outwork Duapas as expected, but it certainly wasn't the kind of win that makes anybody excited for a potential AJ versus um, Big Baby Miller matchup at all. Um, I, I certainly don't want to see that fight because, you know, I just think... I, I really like Big Baby Miller. He's been on this show once or twice, but... I just think he'd just be there for AJ to hit. I think it would just be like a punch bag session. I think AJ would just, you know, hit him and move, really. And I don't think that Miller could stand there for 12 rounds and take AJ's shots. So I think I think that I, I didn't really mind the fight before I saw his performance on the weekend. But after seeing that, he seems like he sometimes he sort of can't up the gears when he really needs to. It kind of reminds me a little bit of... Um, when Dillian White took on Marius Wack, you know, it was like a real... In fact, no, who took on Wack? It was it was Big Baby Miller again, wasn't it? It wasn't even Dillian White. It was Big... Yeah, sorry, Dillian White. It was Big Baby Miller again. Another really boring fight where he just managed to scrape through it. Not scrape through it. He wins it wide on points. But there's nothing eye-catching. There's nothing to talk about. It was just pure boring, that fight. And, you know, in heavyweight boxing, you, you really need to be exciting. But it seems like a lot of his talking outside the ring that make him so exciting just doesn't doesn't translate into his boxing inside the ring. So I love watching his press conferences. I like listening to his interviews, but unfortunately, I don't really like watching him fight, especially as of late. He hasn't really impressed me. But the main event on this one here, Daniel Jacobs, the Miracle Man, 33 and 2, took on Maciel Selecki, um, 26 and 0, the undefeated Polishman. What a fight this was. It took Jacobs a couple of rounds, I feel, to get into his rhythm. Selecki also started the fight very well. I think that Jacobs, um, Jacobs probably took over in about round three or four. And then Selecki came back in the mid-rounds, I think about five, six, seven, and he seemed to be frustrating Jacobs for large parts of that fight. A lot of momentum switches back and forth. And I think that in the last couple of rounds, Jacobs sort of found like a second wind and he managed to actually drop Selecki in the 12th round. You know, they were they were basically trading off. I don't think Selecki needed to trade with him, but they did trade off and Selecki got caught and ended up getting dropped. And it was a straight right hand that Selecki caught while he was coming in trying to land his own right hand. So a bit of a silly move from him. But to Selecki's credit, he did get back up and he didn't seem too hurt. But remember, we have to realize he really is a natural light middleweight. So credit to him for going up to middleweight and giving one of the best middleweights in the world a close fight. Um, lots of scorecards all over the place, but I felt that Jacobs probably did enough to win. I think that Jacobs didn't really look so good in this fight. You know, I don't think he looked that great, really. He seemed to... I don't know if he's slipping a little bit, or maybe he just had a bit of an off night. But yeah, a unanimous decision. Um, 
you know, that one there. But yeah, he did look average at times, Danny Jacobs. You'd have to favour um, Jamal Charlo against him for sure. That would be my opinion. I'd definitely favour Jamal Charlo over Daniel Jacobs at the moment. I feel that Danny Jacobs has perhaps slowed down a little bit. He couldn't really put his foot on the gas against Lewis Arias. And even though he got the knockdown in, in, in the 12th and final round, you know, this this guy was relatively unproven. But I tell you what, he's a name now, Selecki. Hopefully his stock goes up with that with that loss there and hopefully he can, you know, bank one or two big fights down the line. I'd like to see him again. Um moving over now though to the Leah Cora Center in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, USA. Um, what do we have here? Shakur Stevenson, the Olympic silver medalist, moved to 6-0. It was a TKO in round two against Roxburgh Patrick Riley, who was actually 12-0. So he takes his O there, Shakur Stevenson. A good win for him. Also on this bill, friend of the show, Bryant Jennings, 22-2, fought for the, um, for the vacant USA Pennsylvania state heavyweight title. In the other corner was Joey Dueco. I think those guys have had some kind of... Um, not beef, but some kind of like rivalry going since the amateurs. Um, Joey Dueco, 19-4 and four with four draws. It ended up being a unanimous decision over 10 rounds for Bryant Jennings. Um, I tell you what, Joey Dueco, a lot of people drew the, the comparison on the night, but they were saying he's a lot like Andy Ruiz Jr., where he doesn't look like he's in great shape, but he's got a real, um, a real punch variety, and he's also got that hand speed as well which you don't see many big guys have, and they seem to, you know, they seem to have quite quicker hands, I'd, supp- I'd, I'd guess, than some of the guys that are actually look in shape to be heavyweights. So, quite surprising, quite eye-catching. Um, there was one little part in the fight where Joey Dueco threw three left hands, and I think it was a left hook to the head, then a left hook to the body, then a left uppercut, and all three of them landed, and it really looked good. But anyway, he had his moments here and there, but most of the fight, Bryant Jennings seemed to dominate, um, especially with his size, his height difference, and all that. He seemed to, you know, he seemed to use that to his advantage, and he certainly, I think, he even outlanded Joey Dueco, which is quite a hard task, I suppose, because because of his hand speed like I mentioned. So, good win there for Bryant Jennings. Um, also on this build, Jesse Hart, 23-1, and one, took on DeMond Nicholson, 18-2 and two with one draw. This one was for the vacant NABF super middleweight title. Now, Nicholson was down twice in round three and once again in round seven, but here is my assessment of that fight. It was a crazy one, by the way. Um, now, DeMond came out in the first round, he was, he, you know, he seemed to be quite skillful. I'd never seen him before. He was very snappy with his jab, and he actually impressed me. But Hart managed to catch him, and from that point onwards, Hart piled on the pressure and dominated, um, dominated Nicholson. But strangely, in the very last second of the round, I think this was round one, Nicholson caught Jesse Hart and rocked him badly right as the bell went for the end of round one. So that was um, a moment there. But I still think that Jesse Hart comfortably won the round. Now in round three, Jesse Hart scored a questionable knockdown early in the round. Um, Nicholson's feet weren't positioned correctly, so it looked like a slip, but a shot did land, I believe. So... You know, that was a bit kind of, we weren't too sure what was going to happen there. I mean, watching on, even if you if you rewinded it, it seemed like it was, 
it was hard to call really, but the referee didn't hesitate, he gave it a knockdown, and later in that third round, Nicholson got a little desperate, and Jesse Hart hit him with a peach of an overhand right, which decked Nicholson again, so it ended up being two knockdowns in that round, obviously, you know, being a 10-7 round, so a big round there for Jesse Hart, which meant that from that point onwards, Nicholson certainly had an uphill battle on his hands. Um, Jesse Hart was working his left and right uppercuts really well. He seemed to be getting those off pretty much at will. They look really eye-catching. And in round seven, Jesse Hart, this is where it gets really confusing, Jesse Hart landed an overhand right on Nicholson and he dipped right down, like I'm talking about in a squatting position. And Hart didn't really want to throw again. You know, he didn't want to throw another shot at him because it looked like Nicholson was sitting on the floor. And the referee hesitated, and Nicholson was basically squatting on the floor, but without, you know, just his feet was on the was on the canvas. But it was, you know, it was an illegal position to be in. And um, the mad thing is, the referee sort of stopped the action and then let Nicholson get back up to his feet. And then Nicholson walked away with his back turned. It was like he was trying to, you know, gather a few seconds or whatever. So it was quite a strange little moment there. But then it really did get strange. <laughs> Really, really bizarre officiating again from from, from from a referee. I mean, it's it's not a repeat offender here. I don't believe I've seen this referee before. But yeah, a bad, bad piece of officiating that I'm about to explain. Nicholson at one point got, um, you know, got backed up quite badly by Jesse Hart. Jesse Hart was, you know, he was piling the pressure on. And while this was happening, Nicholson was actually complaining to the referee about seemingly nothing so Jesse Hart's winging in shots at him and he's he's sitting there complaining to the referee barely with his gloves up and then Hart landed a couple of shots and then Nicholson goes down and he grabbed hold of Hart's leg and Hart just kind of you know pulled his leg off and then went to the neutral corner now the referee began counting and the whole time the referee was counting Nicholson was complaining to the referee whilst looking in his eyes remaining on his knees now the referee counted to eight okay eight seconds and then he stopped counting and then he tells Nicholson to get his hands up. Nicholson's still on his knees looking the referee in his eyes. Then the referee says get up again. Then Nicholson eventually got up but it was nine seconds I counted after the referee stopped counting at eight. So basically he gave this guy a 17 second count which on playback actually from the moment that Nicholson's knee hit the canvas it was actually 22 seconds. When Nicholson got back up, the referee dusted down his gloves like he was going to let him carry on and then just waved it off. I've got no idea what was going on. And it was so bad, the officiating, that the actual, um, you know, I can't remember what what we're going to call him, but like the commissioner, the guy the guy who runs the, you know, the, the Pennsylvania State Athletic Commission or whatever it's called, he actually got up to the, you know, to the top rope and he called the referee over after the fight to basically say, what the hell are you doing? You know what I mean? It was crazy. I couldn't believe what I was seeing. Terrible refereeing. The referee was awful. That I mean, boy, oh boy, social media were ripping that referee. You know, I don't want to see him near any, you know, any big fight again. That was that was awful from the referee, giving a guy a 22-second count, and then he's going to let him carry on almost. What's the point in counting and then stopping your count and then dusting a guy's gloves off and then to wave it off? It, it just made no sense at all. Confusion all round. But anyway... Moving up the bill, um, 
defending his WBO World Super Bantamweight title, the undefeated Jesse Magdaleno, one of the standout names on his resume, of course, is Nonito Donaire. Well, anyway, he took on here the previously undefeated, and the still undefeated, Isaac Dogbo, 18-0. and 0. What a fight this was. What a fight this was. Now, it's the first time I've watched Dogbo, I've got to be honest. The first time I've watched him in full, anyway. I've seen a couple of little clips here and there. And I must say, I really do like his style. He looks like he can really punch hard. He's got a real snap in his punches, and he's got great speed. And he's also got tremendous willpower. And most importantly, he was the one pressuring the champion early on. Now, I believe he was winning the first round in my eyes until he got dropped. He got caught and dropped by um, Jesse Magdaleno. Um, you know, that was that was a, a little bit... I think he perhaps... I want to say overcommitted. He definitely didn't get over eager, but I think he tried to, you know, throw too many shots, and then all of a sudden he got caught, and then he got a little bit tangled in the ropes, kind of thing. It was a little bit messy, but it was a, you know, it was a definite knockdown. So credit to Magdaleno there. He started the fight really well. Um, I just want to talk about Dogbo's physique as well. He, you know, he's he's ripped. He looks very very strong, and even though he was the much smaller man in there, he was actually able to get in there and bring the fight to Magdaleno. Dogbo reminds me a little bit of Chris Eubank Sr., like a small version of him. I don't think it's just the body type, but the way he kind of struts and his movement, I believe he's probably styled himself upon Chris Eubank Sr. But anyway, back to the fight. In round five, Dogbo dropped Magdaleno with a short right hook counter. And the thing I liked most about what he did next was he stayed absolutely composed. Magdaleno... It was a hard, hard shot, man. When he went down, I thought that could be the end of the fight. It was a big shot. Magdaleno, to his credit, he got back up. And like I say, Isaac Dogbo, he, you know, he put the pressure on him, but it was smart pressure. He wasn't being desperate. He wasn't headhunting. Like a fighter with high ring IQ, he was ripping to the body of Magdaleno. Because, of course, when a fighter gets knocked down, they've been hit on the chin, they instinctively get back up and they cover their face with their gloves because they don't want to get hit on the chin again. And when they do that, of course, they then leave their body open for shots. And Isaac was ripping into Magdaleno's body. So he wasn't getting desperate trying to hit his chin again. He thought, no, I'm going to just, you know, smash his body up while he's defending his face. So that's clever ring IQ. When you're in the moment and, you know, you're in that ring. You don't really think what's best most of the time. You've got a you know you know you learn that from experience and he hasn't really got the experience. So I was quite shocked. He's only a young kid as well. So he showed me very very um you know very very good ring smarts and he was he was very switched on for the entirety of the fight to be honest. Um but yeah, I'm going to give him a little bit of extra credit, like I say, because it was his first world title shot. He was fighting an undefeated fighter in the champion's backyard, and he wasn't rushing his work. You know, when his opponent was badly hurt, he was not rushing his work. You know, it's a very difficult thing to do, to maintain the composure in the moment like that, with relatively no experience under his belt. But Magdaleno, he was constantly on the back foot. And he wasn't able to really get his distance going at all. He kept finding himself on the ropes where he wouldn't want to have been. Both men tasted the canvas for the first time in their respective careers. There was a round where Magdaleno was talking to Dogbo. I think it probably happened more than a round. It happened quite a bit in the fight, if I remember correctly. And he was goading Dogbo. He was saying, come on, come on, and things like that. And Dogbo, again... You know, he wasn't falling for the bait. He was not falling for the bait. And he looked a little bit stupid from Magdaleno because he was still being hit. Like, he kept getting hit. He's going, come on, come on. And then 
Dogbo was happily obliging and just hitting him, and he, he looked really silly on on the champion. And um, you know, Dogbo showed me a real level of maturity, and Dogbo has got an amazing punch repertoire. And I felt that Magdaleno, you know, he had a good round in round eight. I remember he was able to box well, he was able to slip and counter Dogbo here and there, and he definitely took that round. But for a long while before that, Dogbo was comfortably piling up the rounds in his favour. I also gave round nine actually to Magdaleno. Isaac was falling short with his jab a lot, and at times Magdaleno would make him pay for that. And Magdalena was, you know, was also using his angles to get to Dogbo. In round 10, Dogbo came back and upped the pace. It seemed like he kind of got, you know, a second wind, if you like. And he also seemed to momentarily hurt Magdalena to the body in that 10th round. Now, in round 11, the referee Benji Estevez told Magdaleno to let Isaac Dogbo go because Magdaleno was trapping Dogbo's left arm under his arm. And as soon as Dogbo's hands were let go by Magdaleno, he landed a 1-2 combination, a right hook followed by a left hook. The left hand was the one that was um, that was trapped like a second earlier. But as soon as he let it go, he's gone bang with the right and then bang with the trapped left hand. And, you know, down went Magdaleno and he was actually rubbing his nuts. He was trying to claim that there was a low blow, which I think on the replay there was one that I think he, you know, he threw and, you know, the referee didn't call it at the end of the day. So, of course, you've got to play to what the referee says. So, a little bit harsh, but the knockdown came and um, Magdaleno, you know, he kind of went down to his knees um, it, I think the low blow came about two or three shots before the shot that actually put him down. I don't, I don't think the referee saw it, but like I say, he didn't call it. It didn't really matter. But when Magdaleno got up from from being on his knees, he was on the defensive straight away. Dogbo was stalking his man, and he ended up dropping him again. And this time it was with a left hook around the back of the guard. And Magdaleno fell to his knees, and the referee kind of cradled him as he made no attempt to get back up. And it, you know, it actually all happened out of camera shot, so it was quite hard to see what had gone on. Magdalena was on his knees and then he was on his knees after the referee had waved it off. So it all happened very quickly, but a, a fantastic win for Dogbo. And like I say, I don't know if you've seen that fight, but Dogbo is an emerging star, I think. I know that he was over in London for quite a while. I think he I think he may have even gone to school over there for a little bit. I know that he learned some of his stuff in Miguel's gym and I think his dad was also um, a soldier in the British Army. So I like Dogbo, man. I, I like the whole thing. His dad's his trainer now and he showed me so much in that fight. I can't believe it. And he he really is a solid fighter. He really is. He's really announced himself on the world scene. And I'd like to see him again against any of the guys at Super Bantamweight, to be honest. So, um, yeah, I think he's got an incredibly bright future. He's only 23, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's a world champion. So, really, really brilliant win for him. And that's really it for that one. There is just one more, one or two more fights to mention that happened elsewhere. It happened this card at the Don Haskins Convention Center in El Paso, Texas, USA, of course. Um, one fight to mention over here, or a couple fights, but we're going to start with Erickson Lubin. He moved to 19 wins inside his 20 fights. He's got one loss, of course, to Jamel Charlo. Um, he took on a guy called Silverio Ortiz, who was 37 and 21. Um, it was a technical decision after four rounds. So there's no notes on the fight, so I'm guessing that someone must have 
sustained the cut. But anyway, it went to the um, to the scorecards early and a technical decision there for Ericsson Lubin. He'll take that. Also on this bill, Anthony Durrell picked up win number 32. He's got one loss and one draw. He beat Abraham Ham 26 and 3 with one draw. Um, Ham was actually down in in the first round as well. So um, Abraham Han, he's not a bad fighter actually. So that's that's quite a decent win. I'd like to see Anthony Durrell, you know, in there with with the more kind of known guys. But Abraham Han has only been stopped once in his losses, and that was a retirement when he took on Glenn Tapia back in 2013. He also lost to Sergio Mora back in 2015. That's probably where I know his name from. But um, yeah, unanimous decision win over 10 rounds for Anthony Durrell, and also on this bill here. Um, Josecito Lopez got win number 36. It was against the previously undefeated 17-0, Miguel Cruz. Cruz was also deducted a point in round 5 and round 6 for low blows persistently. So a unanimous decision win over 10 rounds for Josecito Lopez. And that really wraps up the review. And we've tried to go through that as quick as possible. There was so much to go over. So I'm sorry if it dragged on a little bit there. Um, just before we wrap up part one, there's one last thing to do, of course, as always. And that is to welcome our very first guest. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the former WBA junior middleweight champion of the world, Mr. Austin Trout. Austin, welcome back on the show, my friend. It's great to have you back on. No, it's a pleasure to be back, man. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's always my pleasure, my friend. The pleasure is always mine. So, Austin, before we get on to your upcoming fight, I do just want to revisit October 14th of last year. I know that we spoke before that fight, but knowing you like I do, I wanted you to win that fight so badly. And in the early rounds, you were you know, you know, were having a lot of success. You were outboxing Jarrett Hurd, but in the later part of the fight, you seemed to just run out of steam. And then, of course, your corner ended up pulling you out. What can you tell us about that fight, and how good is Jarrett Hurd? Because after his last win, everyone thinks he's the you know he's the man to beat at one fifty four now. Well, he is the man to beat. He's got two of the four belts. Um, I, I would say Jared Hurd is, is more so relentless and tough when he's good. But you know, I got to take my hat off to Hurd. I'm not gonna say I make too many excuses about that fight. All I do know is if we had a rematch with me active and busy, it'd be a completely different story. Yeah, oh, I agree with that. I agree with that. Um, and obviously, of course, your next fight will be on June the 9th at the Staples Center. It will be for the WBC Junior Middleweight World title against the current champion, Jamel Charlo. Firstly, Austin, before we talk about the fight itself, every time I call you a former world champion, <laughs> you always interrupt me to say that you're also a future world champion. Do you, <laughs> do you believe, though, that this is a last chance saloon for you at world title level, Austin? Nah, because I'm gonna be in this dude. I'm taking this belt. Yeah, but so, I mean, I mean, like, after I get the belt, how's that the last chance? If it did go wrong, though, I know, I know we don't want to think about that too much. But would that? Do you believe that would be it, or can another shot come up? Listen, yeah, I'm gonna beat this man. And I'm gonna take his belt, and then I'm gonna look to unify. Yeah, ain't nobody else gonna gonna come close to to what I've done and and what I'm gonna do in this boxing sport. Okay. And what do we know about Jamel Charlo? Obviously, you fought his twin brother, Jamel. Do you see similarities between the pair? Well, yeah, one, they look exactly alike. Jamel is bigger, in my opinion, the better fighter of the other brothers. Not saying that Jamel's not a good fighter. He's a world champion. And we're training as if he's, you know, the best fighter in the world. But 
I see a lot of flaws that I'm not going to discuss because I hope you don't want him to tighten that up. And, uh, you know, overall, I'm just a smarter I'm smarter than him. Yeah. And I'm better than him. And I can't wait to uh, prove that. And Austin, do you study tape? Because if there was one fight I'd suggest you watch, you've probably already seen it, it'd definitely be Jamel Charlo against John Jackson. Did you happen to see that? Yes, sir. Absolutely. You know, when I fought his brother. So I watched the fight live, and and, uh, and I, I go back and watch that film regularly. Yeah, I think there's a lot to, you know, a lot to see in that fight. Um, mm -hmm. A man that we will be speaking to later on in this show, Tony Harrison. He's fighting a man that we had on our show last week, Ishe Smith. That's a good fight at the same weight as you. Who do you believe comes out victorious in that one? Well, you know, I, I think I'm, Tony Harrison is going to come out on top on that fight. But, you know, according to Ishe Smith's last performance, it ain't going to be easy. Especially if he's training the way he was training for the Julian Williams fight. And I fact, that was probably the best I've seen Ishe Smith looking in years, you know. But I tell you, you know, he's young, he's long. Uh, and, you know, as long as he doesn't get into a brawl, he can, he can coast to win that fight. And I know that it's kind of old news now, but a former opponent of yourself, of course, Canelo Alvarez, has obviously fouled a doping test. We're hearing more and more by the day about various hair samples. What was your reaction initially when the news broke that he'd fouled a test, Austin? Um, I wasn't surprised. I felt like he was on that shit when I fought him. And there was so many, so much going around because we requested the random test and they didn't want to give it to us. So when we went to VADA, to see if they can somehow get it to work. They agreed to make it work. You know, Golden Boy was very ups upset and nervous and decided to X-Bot out and get USADA. Now, I don't know you, you know the history of USADA and Golden Boy, but they destroyed samples left and right to protect some of their fighters. So that doesn't surprise me that Bada was the one that actually caught him. Um, I'm not surprised. And I don't believe that hair sample mess because How's your pee dirty, but your hair come clean? And, you know, it's, it's, it should be backwards. Like, your hair will be dirty, but your pee might be clean because the hair goes back in four or five months. So, you know, I don't believe it. I think they're just trying to, um, one, have a case to sue the Las Vegas Commission, which I think is some hoax, man. They're going to sue Triple G and Las Vegas Commission for defamation character when he failed two tests. How you going? That's not defamation. You did that. So I'm not surprised. But as you know, boxing, you know, the golden rule is the one who makes the gold makes the rules. So they'll let him get away with it. You know, they slap him on the wrist with six month suspension. And if I remember correctly, they uh, suspended Chavez Jr. for nine months and found him heavily for weed. Just for weed. Like, how's that work? Yeah, it does seem a little bit fishy to me. Um, a man that's been around your weight for a while, and it's kind of odd, I'm guessing, it's kind of odd that you haven't fought him, really, because, you you know, Austin, you've showed time and time again that you will fight anybody, but Vainez Martirosian, does he have a chance against Triple G this weekend? Anybody that's just in the room got a chance. Triple G's just a man. He's just a man, and he's actually an older man. And Ron is, who I know had a long layoff, but he's been working this whole time, so he definitely has a chance. And, and the fact that I think that everybody, including Triple G, sleeping on Ron is, in my opinion, gives him a better chance. 
do you see Triple G emerging the victor, though? Uh, yeah, I definitely can see that happening, but yeah, I'm hoping for the upset. Yeah, yeah. And coming down to the last couple of questions, um, since we last spoke, Saddam Ali has managed to pick, you know, pick up a world title. Do you rate him as a fighter? Is that a fight that you'd perhaps like at some point? Absolutely. As a matter of fact, after I get to the WC Bell, I would love to unify with Saddam Ali, um, seeing he gets past the the, the late sub in that he got in uh, Verona. So absolutely, that's it. I mean, everybody. I feel like it's probably done for Saddam. But you know, when I get my WC belt, I would like to go unify with Saddam and then get my rematch with her and get both of those belts he got. You know, assuming he beats Lara in the rematch. Yeah, that that does sound like a good plan. I've got to be honest. Um, you know, if all goes if all goes well, then that'd be quite something. It really would be. Um, and finally, Austin, I always give you this opportunity just really to send out a message to your UK fans. I know that you've got many, 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 many fans over here. So what's your message to those guys? To all my fans in the UK, I plan on taking this belt June 9th. The most high is going to make me two-time world champion. And then I'm going to go to get to Saddam Ali and get the WBO. The most high will make me a WBO three-time world champion. And after that, I would love, I would love to come to the UK and fight at WBO Mandatory, which I believe will be Liam Smith. Tell Smith I'll come over there to beat his ass after I get these belts. Excellent. Well, you said it. You said it there. Um, you know, Liam Smith or Kel Brook, I know he's at that weight now. I'm sure both of those fights would um, would whet your appetite, knowing you, you'd like a challenge. But yeah, listen, Austin, I wish you the best of luck for June 9th, as always. God willing, you do become a world champion again. Thank you so much for your time, and we will catch up sometime after. Thank you. Okay, now it's time for part two on this week's show. This part, of course, is the news part. So, Ayaz, bring us the latest news, please. Yes. Um, an illness has forced Liam Smith to postpone his fight against Saddam Ali. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that, that fight, of course, was set for May 12th, I believe. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a shame. I don't really know too much more about it. I know that I think he said he'll be ready for any time in June or something like that. But it looks like Saddam Ali's going to still be fighting on that night and still defending his title, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? They've got a replacement opponent. Yes, they have. And that guy will be Jamie Mangua, who is 28-0 with 24 knockouts. He's only 21 years of age. He's a Mexican fighter. Um, looking at his resume, I mean, he's he's beat quite a couple... Know, quite a couple of good guys actually but you know none on the world level or anything like that so you'd, you'd have to favor Saddam Ali but hopefully it's a good fight because it's a shame I, I feel for beefy though because you know this shot has really been kind of like in the pipeline for him for quite a while obviously he had that fight against Liam Williams the first time round. that was supposed to be for the interim title and of course um you know, a world title fight was really going to come after that. Then he had the rematch with Williams, and then, you know, he, he, he got the victory in that one as well. And then, now this fight's come around, and obviously an illness has forced him out, and he's going to be ready in June or July, whenever he said, well, that's obviously now not going to happen, because Saddam Ali's still fighting. So, it seems like he's kind of missed his opportunity there, so hopefully he can get back on the... Um, you know, back on the horse, if you like, but he, you know, he is with Frank Warren, I, I think he's still with them, so, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure Frank Warren will be able to secure him, uh, you know, another shot, especially as it is the WBO, but all the very best to Beefy Smith, we want to see him back, we want to see him with another world title around his waist, but all the very best to Saddam Ali as well, I like him now. Okay, Josh Taylor will face uh, Victor Postel 
for the final eliminate for the WBC World Championship on June 23rd. Yeah, um, I mean, June 23rd, that's the same night that Billy Joe Saunders has got his, um, you know, his, his whole car going on. But yeah, back to the fight that you mentioned there. Josh Taylor, um, you know, we're all big fans of him, and he's taking on Victor Postel, a former world champion, a man that went the distance in his only loss to Terence Crawford. If Josh Taylor can, you know, can get him out of there in the distance, then of course it becomes a spectacular win. It really, really does, and I wouldn't put it past him. So it's a, it's a, you know, it's a thrilling fight, really. Um, credit to, you know, to Cyclone and McGuigan and the rest of the gang that have that have, um, you know, made this fight happen. It seems like they're really kind of rushing Josh Taylor, and I'm, you know, I'm a big fan of that. Um, he's he's a brilliant he's a brilliant fighter. I think it's unfair to still call him a prospect a little bit, but he's still climbing up the ladder. And the way that they're moving him, I mean, it's just unbelievable. Other promoters and other fighters and matchmakers should all take note of what they're doing with Josh Taylor. He's a very special talent, not like many others. So. Um, you know there is that, but yeah, he's 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 just brilliant to watch most of the time. And um, this is a tough, 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 tough fight, and he's running towards these tough fights. So I give him credit, and hopefully he can win. You know, like you say, there it's a final eliminator. So I'm not quite sure because the champion right now is Jose Ramirez, but then again, the interim champion who should get the shot before the winner of Taylor and Postal is Regis Progre. So there's a lot of spicy names in the mix there so no matter who wins what there will be a tough 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 fight for the full wbc which we all say is the best belt um you know super lightweight title so i'm certainly looking forward to see how the whole situation unfolds what an exciting division right now especially the wbc rankings the top three or four boy oh boy just complete fire um carrier fight will face uh david carmona on may 26th yeah, um, Cal Yafai, I mean, you know, this this fight's obviously set to happen overseas. It's going to be happening at the uh, at the Celand Arena, which is in California. It's going to be on ESPN and I believe shown in the UK, probably on Sky. Um, it's a matchroom boxing show, I think. I think they're doing a co-promotion with Top Rank. But anyway, the fight itself, I mean, Cal Yafai obviously defending his WBA title. David Carmona... I mean, you know, he's still young, and I kind of forget that. I thought he was older than 27. And Carmona, we know, we know. I suppose, most recently, because he lost to Carlos Quadras and he lost to Naoya Inoue, who is taking on Jamie McDonnell. But aside from that, I mean, I, I suppose he's more kind of known for his losses than his wins, which is a bit of a bad thing to say, but he is a decent fighter. He also lost by knockout back in 2013 to Omar Nevarez. That's the guy that fought Zulani Tete um, last weekend, um, or the weekend before that, when it was a really boring fight. So bear that in mind. But, I'd, I'd, you know, I'd certainly expect Kao Yafai to do a number on his man here. So um, all the very best to Kao Yafai. Gilberto Ramirez would defend his WBO super middleweight title against Roma Alexis Angulo on June 30th. Yeah, Angulo's a fighter who's 23 and 0. Um, 20 knockouts, so he's quite heavy handed. The thing is, he's 34 years of age. Um, you know, he's, he's a super middleweight, but he hasn't really got that kind of. You know, even though he's a big puncher and he's he's got a nice looking resume, he hasn't really got that that standout name if you like so this is his real proper 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 step up 
you know, he's the WBO Latino super middleweight title. I've I've had my rants on the Latino belts here and there, but yeah, it's a huge step up. And you know, Gilberto Ramirez, I'd expect to do a job on him, and then he'll move to thirty-eight and zero, and he's only twenty-six years old. But by the time the fight rolls round, it's only eleven days after Ramirez's birthday. So yeah, he will actually be twenty-seven. And his resume should be 38 and 0, and I'd expect him to probably, um, perhaps even stop this guy. Tyson Fury's uh, fight on June the 9th will be shown live on BT Sport. Yeah, exclusively on BT Sport. Um, it seems like the fight will not be shown on Box Nation, which is a great shame for people like myself. I'm not actually subscribed to BT Sports, I'm just subscribed to Box Nation. So it's a shame. Um, I'm half kind of now it seems kind of crazy but I'm half thinking of trekking up to Manchester now for this one and getting a hotel or something because um, it's just going to be a hassle trying to watch it because no one's really got BT Sport that, that I know that lives local to me so um, you know it's not going to be a fight that, I, that they're going to be showing at a pub or anything so I think I'm either going to go up there I may do I may not we'll have to see but yeah it's, it's a shame I'd like to I'd like to watch it I'm sure I will find a way of watching it but um yeah, I'm not quite sure if I'm going to be there or not. But yeah, we want to see his opponent announced as well. Um, you know, that was supposed to happen this week, I believe. So eyes peeled and um, and ears open for that one. And finally, Yovan Mendy has been ordered to face Luke Campbell in a rematch. The pair will clash in the final eliminate for the WBC lightweight title, which is held by Mikey Garcia. Yes, um, the lightweight division, obviously, a very, very much talked about division now. Garcia going back down and, you know, keeping hold of his WBC belt while he vacated the WBO belt, at, oh, sorry, the IBF belt at 140. So, um, yeah, he's in the mix at, at 135, of course. Obviously, a fight that's set to happen, not this weekend, but the following weekend, which we'll be talking about, Lomachenko and Linares, that's going to be a catastrophic fight, it really is. And... Um, you know, Robert Easter Jr. being an undefeated puncher at that weight as well. So that, that really sets up quite an exciting division of fighters. But also, just under that level, Luke Campbell to take on Eva Mendy. I'm really excited for this. Hopefully the fight gets made, by the way. Eva Mendy, um, I think Eddie Hearn wants, wants Luke Campbell to avenge that defeat. I don't see why he wouldn't want to do that. Because I think that Luke Campbell's got the beating of Eva Mendy. But... The fact remains, Eva Mendy is, um, or was, the only man at one point to have beaten Campbell. Obviously, Campbell also lost most recently to Jorge Linares. But I'd like to see Campbell right the wrong against Eva Mendy. And if he does, then he'll be rewarded with a world title shot. But like you say, as it's against Mikey Garcia. So I wouldn't really want to be rushing too quick to Mikey Garcia because I think Mikey Garcia will clean, um, would clean any of those guys out and probably the whole division, to be honest. It depends. It even depends you know, how good Lomachenko looks. I'll have to judge after he takes on Linares because I'd say right now Garcia would, would beat them all possibly but Lomachenko is the only question mark we'll have to see how he looks but yeah great fight hopefully it gets made even Mendy and Luke Campbell rematch that's it for the news Okay, thank you. Ayers, rolling over now to the previewing. We're going to start at the Town Hall in Walsall, West Midlands, United Kingdom. One or two fights to mention on this bill. Um, Kane Baker, 6-3. and three. Not a big name, but I'm going to give him a shout-out. He's in a four-rounder against a guy called Ibra Riaz, who's actually got a record of six wins, 136 losses and four draws. The reason why I give Kane Baker a shout-out is because he came so close to beating Sanjeev Sahota on a really... Um, 
snowy day in York Hall um, when there wasn't even many people in the crowd because it was a complete disaster to get to and all the trains weren't running it was a disaster but I tell you what he showed up that night and he really earned my respect for sure every fighter gets my respect really they get in there and you know it takes a lot of guts but he really showed me that he's not just you know not just a journeyman or anything like that and he really really could have won that fight I think if he won that that final round he would have probably got it it's certainly on my card anyway I really felt gutted for him but anyway good good little um fighter Kane Baker so shout out to him and the main event here Tommy Langford defends his British middleweight title against Jason Wellborn Wellborn 22 and 6 Tommy Langford 20 and 1 you know Tommy Langford aside from his one loss against Kurt Sidzi who's now in jail um, I'd like to see him defend this British title, win it outright, and perhaps move up to European level. I think he maybe took a couple steps too quickly when he took on Kurt Sidzi, but Tommy Langford's a good fighter. I believe in him. All the best to him. Moving over now to the StubHub Centre. This one happening tomorrow, Friday. It's going to be shown on ESPN2. I don't think it's going to be shown in the UK, unfortunately, but this bill here consists of Gary Spike O'Sullivan, 27-2. and He takes on Berlin Abreu, who's 14 and 1 that's a 10 rounder there um, the main event here though Ryan Garcia he's the guy that um, I don't know if you've ever seen this guy's this guy's social media he's got a bunch of followers he hasn't really got a big name in the boxing world but he certainly has got a big name amongst the ladies particularly the you know the 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 teenage females he's a real big hit with them but um, yeah I mean you know Aside from that, he's a great boxer as well. 14 and 0. He's in a 10 rounder against Jason Velez, 26 and 4 with one draw. That should be a great fight. Ryan Garcia is another man that they're really stepping up quite quickly. So, I'm liking the look of him. Um, what I will say, just back to Spike O'Sullivan's opponent, Berlin Abreu, he can punch himself. 11 stoppages in 14 wins. His one loss came by knockout, though, back in 2014 to Sammy Vasquez, a man that has almost kind of been forgotten, actually. Um, he hasn't fought since 2017 against Louis Calazzo, but he was on a right run at one point. Um... Yeah, moving over now to Tokyo, Japan. One fight to mention over here. A man that we've certainly got respect for. 34-2, and two, his resume. Tomoki Kamida. He takes on Daniel Noriega. 30-11 and 11 with one draw. That's a 10-rounder there. Moving back over to the UK, though. This one, a huge bill, of course, I has. At the O2 Arena in London. Let's start with the undercard here. We have Jordan Gill. He takes on David Burner. 15-3. and three. That's the guy that really recently, about a month ago, took on Michael Conlon and got beat well anyway yeah he gets in against Jordan Gill that's a good measuring stick fight that's a six rounder there Josh Boatze um, his record 5-0 and oh. he's in an eight rounder against Stefan Cuevas who's 8-1 and one with three draws Lemroy Thomas the Commonwealth heavyweight champion 22-4 and four with one draw he's back over in the UK it's not against Dave Allen though it's against Joe Joyce David Hayes protege 3-0 and oh, the Olympic silver medalist um Oh, yes, we've seen Lemroy Thomas fight um, once or twice now, of course. The two Dave Allen fights, he didn't really get to show us much in the second fight because it all got, you know, it all got called a halt after about 90 seconds. But he takes on Joe Joyce. That is a good fight there. That's a fight that we've gone to the predictions on. And I'm coming to you first, Ayaz. How do you see that fight unfolding? I think this is a very good fight. Obviously, this is another step up for Joe Joyce. But obviously, Joe Joyce, we've seen him. He's fought in, if you look at his sport in World Boxing Super Series, to me, that's basically professional boxing. And obviously, we've seen Jojo... Uh, we've World seen... Series of Boxing, to correct you. WSB, yeah. WSB, okay. 
He's um, he's been in that. So if you look at it, he's got a very, he's got quite a big record on it. His amateur record is quite good as well. He's an Olympic silver medalist. Now, Lenroy Thomas, obviously, we've really seen him fight Dave Allen twice. Obviously, this is going to be a very good fight. Obviously, he's on a big card as well. Um, Joe Joyce has got an excellent trainer. Ishmael Salas, for me, I think he's one of the best trainers in the world. And Joe Joyce is looking very good. I've seen some of the videos of him like uh, in the pad. But if I'm going to go with a win, I'm going to go with Joe Joyce to win on points. Yeah, I'm going to go with Joe Joyce to win on points also, Ayers, and it's quite shocking, but the listeners are very, very confident for Joyce to get the knockout. 79% going with Joyce by KO, um, 17% going with Joyce on points, and 4%, that's probably like one person or two people, going with Lemroy Thomas to win by knockout, which I, I just don't understand what you can base that off of. Maybe someone hit the wrong button, but anyway... Lemoy Thomas is a tough guy. I remember he was sparring Anthony Joshua. He's a southpaw. And I I just can't see Joe Joyce stopping him. The only thing is, if it was a six-rounder or perhaps an eight-rounder, then I'd certainly say, yeah, he definitely wouldn't get stopped by Joe Joyce. But saying that, this is, of course, Joe Joyce's first 12-round fight. And to go 12 rounds, which I'm sure Joe Joyce will do pretty comfortably... I don't know if Lemroy will be able to take those shots from Joe Joyce for all 12 rounds, so it could get interesting late on. The stoppage, if it does come, will come late on. It won't be an early stoppage. It won't be like any of Joe Joyce's previous opponents that have folded in a round or two, especially the last time out when it didn't even go on for, I think it went on for about 30 seconds. It went on for less than a minute. Um... But yeah, I'm expecting a Joyce points win. So, you know, same for you, Ayaz. And the listeners going with Joyce by knockout. Moving up the bill once again, John Ryder, 25-4. and four. No belt on the line, but a really, really good fight. A 50-50 as well. Jamie Cox in the other corner, 25-1. and one. Um, Ayaz, I'm going to come to you on this one. We've gone to the predictions. But firstly, before we talk about the predictions, it's a great fight, John Ryder and Jamie Cox. We had John Ryder on the show a couple of weeks ago talking about this fight. We were the first people to to actually interview him since the fight had been made as well at the time but I really like John Ryder Jamie's been on the show before as well a great great fight I think this is a very good fight for me this is a fight for uh, both of these it's a make it or break it fight I think the winner will go forward and I think the loser may call it a day I know it sounds a bit harsh but I've got a feeling that's what's going to happen now we've seen Jamie Cox for George Groves Jamie Cox is not he's a light he's not a middleweight He's a super welterweight to me. I've seen him fight uh, before. He used to, I think he used to fight a super welterweight. No, no, he used to... Well, I think he did fight... I think he even fought at 147 at one point. But yeah. he's, this fight is at super middleweight. Yeah, super middleweight. And for me, I think the weight's too much for Jamie Cox. We saw it and when he fought George Groves. He got really badly hurt, badly knocked out. I'm going for John Ryder to win on points. Yeah, I'm going to go with John Ryder on points as well, Ayers. Um The listeners disagree... Every outcome got at least one vote. Jamie Cox to win on points, though, is what the listeners have gone with. 50% saying that. 28 with Ryder to win by knockout. 16 for Cox to win by KO. And the one that we went with, Ayers, just 6% of people saying Ryder to win on points. I think John Ryder can, you know, can win on points. I think that Jamie Cox is quite 
tougher than a lot of people give him credit for. You say there, you know, he was badly hurt when he, you know, when he got stopped by George Groves. I will defend him a little bit. It was a body shot. It wasn't like he got, you know, knocked out like, you know, with a shot to the chin or anything. I think he showed his toughness. And John Ryder, actually, since he's moved up to super middleweight, he's shown me that he can really crack much harder than I thought he could. So a really interesting fight there. And that's the, I mean, obviously I'm going to be looking forward to the main event as well, but that's the, the fight of the undercard that I'm most intrigued for. Uh, Martin J. Ward, 19-0, takes on James Tennyson, 21-2. This one is for the EBU, there's a few belts on the line here, the EBU European Super Featherweight title, the Commonwealth Super Featherweight title, and the WBA International Super Featherweight title. I'm not quite sure who holds what, to be honest with you, but James Tennyson, 21-2, like I say, Martin J. Ward, 19-0 with two draws. He's looking really good at the moment, Martin J. Ward, isn't he, guys? Yes, uh, Martin J. Ward's looking very good. I mean, uh, let's see how he does on Saturday, but uh, I'm looking forward to seeing him fight. And how do you see that fight playing out? What I will say is James Tennyson, he's a good fighter. You know, he's only 24. He's still learning on, on the game. Um, you know, his last loss was in 2016 to Ryan Walsh. He got TKO'd in five rounds. And his loss before that was actually to a guy who, this looks really bad, but the guy's record was two wins, 64 losses and five draws. It was a TKO in two rounds. So his two losses have been by knockout. But a lot of people tell me that he's a lot better than people give him credit for. A lot of people saying it's going to be a close fight. I haven't really seen off the other opponent, but... Um... I've seen quite a few Martin J. Ward fights. So if I'm going to go for a win, I'm going to go with Martin J. Ward to win by a knockout. Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Ward on points, Ayaz, and the listeners have gone with Ward on points as well. So that's 53% going with Ward on points, 33 going with Ward by knockout, Ayaz, so not an unpopular decision that you've made, and 7% with Tennyson on points and 7% with Tennyson by knockout. So it looks like most people believe Martin J. Ward will emerge victorious there. Um, Moving up the bill once again, we will now talk about... The Paul Butler fight, 26-1 and one, Paul Butler. Um, he takes on Emmanuel Rodriguez, 17-0. and 0. This one's for the vacant IBF World Bantamweight title. So this is the only world title fight on the card. I suppose the card doesn't really need a world title fight because of the, you know, the build-up and the, the excitement and just the pure fact that this fight now between Bellew and Hay, you just wouldn't be surprised of any outcome. Anything can happen. Last time, I really thought Hay would win big. This time, I wouldn't be surprised of any outcome. A Hay knockout... A bell you knock out, hay on points, bell you on points. Nothing would surprise me after last time. But yeah, the world title fight on the card. Paul Butler, 26-1. and one, Emmanuel Rodriguez, 17-0. and Oaz. How do you see that one unfolding? I think it's going to be a very good fight. I haven't really seen Emmanuel Rodriguez fight before, so it's going to be the first time me seeing him fight, actually. Um, Paul Butler, obviously, we've seen him fight already. I think it's a very good fight. Um, if I'm going to go with a win, I don't really know much about Emmanuel Rodriguez. I'll probably go for I'm going to go for Paul Butler to win. Okay, points or knockout? Points. Points, okay. Well, anyway, this guy here, Emmanuel Rodriguez, what I will tell you, he is 17-0, 12 knockouts. He's actually a Puerto Rican fighter. He's 25 years of age. When you look at his resume, once again, he doesn't really have that standout name. He's beaten guys with good-looking resumes, but there's no real recognizable names, I don't I don't suppose. So, um, Paul Butler's mixed it with the better fighters. There's no doubt about that. But Paul Butler's a man that I feel like he's kind of... I don't know, like he seems like he's lost a touch or two. And I am actually going to go with Emmanuel Rodriguez to win this fight on points. Um, 
What I will say, though, is the listeners have gone with... Let me just look. They've gone with Butler to win on points. So I'm going with the upset. But if I'm not mistaken, I think in the bookies, Paul Butler's actually the underdog. I could be wrong. Someone will have to let us know. But yeah, Paul Butler on points. 38% of the listeners went with that. Um, 31 went with Butler by KO. 25 went with Rodriguez by KO. And 6% went with Rodriguez on points. So hopefully it's a good fight for us. And the main event here, of course, I have David Hay in one corner. Is it repeat or revenge? Tony Bellew in the other corner, of course, with a record of 29 and 2 with one draw. David Hay, 28 and 3. It seems kind of crazy that um, Bellew's got more wins than David Hay. That seems kind of mad. And David Hay's got more losses than Bellew. They've both had 31 and 32 fights. But yeah, even still, David Hay, I'd like to say, has fought at the, you know, the better level, of course. But we just don't know what we're getting, eyes. It could be a case of David Hay, um, you know, he just falls apart again and picks up another kind of injury because his body can't hold up or it could be that he seems like he's rolled back the clock a little bit and he looks phenomenal he looks like his old self but the thing is what we can't get away from the fact is David Hay hasn't looked like his old self for a long long time you'd have to go back to the Chisora fight when I think we saw David Hay looking good and that was only a real I mean that was a five round fight if I remember correctly so it was quite a while before that Um, you know he had a break before that of course he retired and all that before he came back and it was a long time before that that we saw you know vintage David Hay so we just don't know what we're going to get but one thing is for sure I've been seeing his training videos and David Hay looks like he's taking this second fight a lot more serious yes I'll tell you why he's taking it very very serious because the thing is right if he loses his career's over it's as simple as that I think he knows that now yes his career's on the line if he loses his fight I think he's finished and obviously um, we seen him like in in this in this the fight when he fought uh, Tony Bailey first. He was going, I want to knock him out. Uh, you saw him and he wasn't really training with Shane McGuigan. Uh, I saw a video of him in the pool tub in Miami having champagne on a yacht as well. It was nice. On a yacht as well. <laughs> this time he's taking it really serious and he's also bought his um, strength and conditioning coach Ruben Tavares, who's actually who he had him when he fought Nico Avaluev. If, for me, yeah, I'll tell you something. We have to see what kind of David Hay looks like. Now, can his body last 12 rounds? That's the problem. Because in the first fight, his, his ligament fell apart. No, his Achilles, sorry, Achilles. fell apart. Yeah. Um, I personally think, and I know people may disagree with me, I have a feeling Bellew is going to win this fight on points. Okay, that's a big shout. That is a big shout. Um... The one thing for me, and, you know, this has to be highlighted, David Hay has been knocked many, many times for having no heart. You know, he's he's a celebrity, he's not a real boxer, he's got no heart, and he proved us all wrong. Not not me, I didn't say he had no heart, but he proved a lot of people wrong last time when he carried on for many, many rounds, and he literally couldn't even stand on that one leg. Now, he showed us he's got loads of heart there, but the one thing is, I seriously think that David Hay... If he ends up like he's losing the first sort of three, four, five rounds and it gets to a point where in his head he thinks, do you know what, I'm not going to knock him out and I'm not going to win on points, like it's done and my career is over after this fight, I think that he would, I think he'd probably even ask them to, you know, he'd just quit on his stall, he wouldn't care, he's never going to box again. He would ask his corner to throw the towel in or something. I don't think he cares about finishing the fight unless he's going to win the fight, that's all. I don't think, if he's losing, I don't think he gives... You know, gives a, a, a damn if he goes 12 rounds and it's a war or not. I don't think he cares. I think 
if it gets to a point where he's losing and he just doesn't seem himself and he's you know he's behind a few rounds, I would not be surprised if he just retired on his store and then retired from boxing. Who cares, you know? He wouldn't give a crap about his reputation, I don't think. Um, I think he only really cares about his reputation if he's got aspirations to carry on boxing, which he won't have if he loses this fight. Now, the listeners have gone with David Hay to win by knockout, 48%. I'm agreeing with that, Iaz. Bellew to win by knockout is the second favourite. That's 22%. Hay on points, 17%. And your prediction, Iaz, Bellew to win on points, 13%. So not very popular, your decision amongst our listeners. But listen, anything could happen, like I say. Last time, I remember being at the weigh-in last time. And it was about March the, I think it was March the 3rd. And I was asking people, I said, you know, I'm running around the weigh-in at the O2, it was really busy, and I said to people, who, you know, I remember speaking to one person in particular, I said, who do you reckon's going to win this fight? And they said to me, which fight? And I said, the main event. And they're like, come on, man, is that a serious question? Like, seriously? It's not even a fight. David Hayes going to kill him. And I remember thinking, like, oh, I don't really want Bellew to get hurt too bad, but, you know, I do like Bellew. I've started to really like Bellew lately. Um, you know, but I've always loved David Hay, so I wanted David Hay to win, but then I thought, oh, you know, I don't really want Bellew to get hurt, but he's no way in the world Bellew's going to be able to pull off the win. He's going to get knocked out, but I just hope it's not too bad. And then, of course, he did the unthinkable, but, uh, you know, again, let's not let's not start getting too excited. It wasn't like he completely dominated David Hay. No way did he dominate David Hay. David Hay's leg was gone, and he looked really awful. And some people, I think, I'm not sure what the official scorecards were at the time of the stoppage, but, you know, David Hay, I think, was even winning on, on all three judges' scorecards. So, Bellew wasn't... You know, he wasn't winning or anything. It was simply that, that you know, that Hayes' body fell apart, and that was it. Um, since then, obviously, Bellew seems a lot more confident and all the rest of it. But Bellew's a smart guy. Um, it, it simply comes down to now which David Hayes going to show up. I think everybody agrees with that. If David Hayes shows up and he's not 100%, which I think he is, by the way, but no excuses. At the end of the day, Bell, you won fair and square, no matter what you what you think about it. Injury or not, if he was winning or not, at the end of the day, who won that fight? Tony Bell, you did. That's that. If David Hay went into the fight not 100%, that's his own fault. You know what I mean? That's just that's just the way it is. So, Bellew was the rightful winner first time round. If David Hay wins this one, don't rule out a third fight for mega money. Do not rule out a third fight. But I think David Hay will win, and he will probably carry on and, you know, try and go for... I mean, it's you've really got to take one fight at a time, so I don't want to start planning too far ahead, because you just never know with David Hay. It can all go wrong in one second. But... I think he wins this fight, and I think he tries to, you know, get a world title shot or something like that. That's his plans. That's what he wants to do. That's his intentions. But, like I say, I wouldn't be shocked with any outcome whatsoever. And if Bellew does win, David Hay needs to retire, because he will be at danger of absolutely wrecking his very good... um, you know, his very good legacy, because he was a fantastic cruiserweight. He moved up to heavyweight, and he looked really good. He did it all, and, of course, you know... Aside from his early loss to Carl Thompson, you kind of forget about that. That was when he was still learning. You know, his only other loss was to Vladimir Klitschko. He went the distance with him. Not many did that. No real shame in that. The size difference was huge. And aside from that, he's got this this um, hiccup of a loss, if you like, against Bellew that he's going to try and right the wrong for. So, 
he's had a great career, David Hayes. Made loads of money from it. I'm a big fan of his. I'm also now a big fan of Bellew's. Made a best man win. I wouldn't be shocked anyway. Would you agree with that, Ayers? You wouldn't be shocked with any outcome at all, or would you be shocked if, if one of the outcomes happened? Um, I wouldn't be shocked if any of the outcomes happened. To be honest, I mean, like I said, my uh, my opinion, that I think that personally, Bellew's going to win the fight. But we'll see how it goes. Yeah, we will see how... It goes. And moving over now to the final bill or two to mention. This one happening over in the StubHub Center in Carson, California. Cinco de Mayo still happens, but unfortunately the Mexican isn't in the other corner. We have no Canelo, but we do have the main man himself, the real deal at 160. Mr. Gennady, Triple G, Golovkin, 37-0 and 0 with one very questionable draw against Canelo. Anyway, the belt's on the line. The IBF, the IBO, the WBA Super, and the WBC World Middleweight titles all on the line. In the other corner, Vainez Martirosian, 36-3 with one draw. I asked the listeners their, you know, their prediction on this fight here. Um, you know, what they reckon is going to happen. And it was frightening, the results. Golovkin to win by knockout, 90%. 5% going with Martyrosian on points, 5% going with Martyrosian by knockout. Nothing for Golovkin to win on points, which I actually think is a possibility. I think that Martyrosian, um, uh, listen, Martyrosian, realistically, I think he's a 154 fighter, so I feel that, you know, this fight being at 160 is not really in his best interest. I also feel that Gennady Golovkin was taking his training camp so seriously for the rematch against Canelo that I think. I feel kind of sorry for Vaynez because I think he's going to let out his frustration on him. But you do have to say, you know, Golovkin has slowed down. I think we all agree on that. Golovkin's last two fights have gone the distance against Canelo and, of course, against Daniel Jacobs. So I think Golovkin to win on points is a lucrative option that nobody took. And I'm going to look at the odds on that because I think that that's quite all right, that one. I think that's that's not a bad bet. But I've I've got to go with Golovkin by knockout eyes. And, and another factor also that I should mention, Vainez Martirosian has never been knocked out as well. So I reckon it could go points. But I'm going to go with Golovkin by knockout because I feel that Vainez probably hasn't had the... Well, we know he hasn't really had the right time to prepare for the biggest fight of his life. I'm sure that you probably agree with that, eyes, But, you know, talk about the fight a little bit. I mean, this fight, to be honest, um, it's really a mismatch. Obviously, we're going to see Golovkin knock him out. Um, there's not much to say about this fight apart from Golovkin. Obviously, I wanted to see the Canelo fight, but unfortunately, Canelo's failed a drugs test. He's out for six months, which I personally think he should have got longer than six months. Yeah. But um, is the fight even being shown on television? They haven't actually secured a UK broadcaster, but it is going to be shown um, in the US on HBO. Which is that's really strange because usually it's normal thing. But um, uh, look to see. Um, I'll probably I'll probably watch the fight as a highlight. But I can see Golovkin just knocking him out. Well, like I say, Varnes Martirosian hasn't yet been stopped. His three losses came to good company: Eris Landy Lara, Jamel Charlo, and Demetrius Andrade. So, um, yeah, no shame in those losses. Most recently, by the way, to Eris Landy Lara. But the staggering thing is, he hasn't actually fought um, for almost. It's actually two weeks away. Come fight night on Saturday, it'll be two weeks away from. Oh, this is going to sound really confusing. Anyway, let me just put it easy for you. On the 5th of May, on Saturday, 
it will almost be two years since Martyrosian's last fight because his last fight was on the 21st of May 2016 and he lost a points um, a points loss against Erislandi Lara. The last time he won a fight was against Ishe Smith. It was a majority decision back in 2015, September. So, um, yeah, he hasn't really come through a fight too easily for quite a while. So, definitely, he's very much against it. Um, he's kind of used social media to get this fight. But, you know, I've got no no qualms about it. I've got no 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 hating to do on this fight because I feel very sorry for Golovkin. I just wanted to see him fight. And I think that he's, he's a great ambassador for the sport. And he's, you know, all along he said to his fans, listen, if you've already booked hotels, you've already booked flights, don't worry, I'm still fighting. And he's delivered on that promise. And he's tried to get the best opponent available. He really has. They've knocked him back once or twice. The, um, you know, I think it was the IBF or whatever it was. And at one stage, they were not going to sanction one of his fights and they were going to not let him put his IBF belt, I think it was, on the line. I'm glad that that situation's been cleared up. It should have never been like that. He should have never got penalised and, you know, would have had to actually give up a belt just because Canelo found a drugs test. It was ridiculous. But, yeah, the whole situation's been cleared up. I'm happy about that. But I think he wins by a knockout. So we all agree on that one. All the very best to both men there. Also on this bill, Ryan Blue Chip Martin, 21-0, and 0, takes on Breedis Prescott, the man that, of course, took... Amir Khan's O a long, long time ago now, but his record 31 and 12. He's still marching on. One thing he's certainly got going for him is the power, which we've seen more than just against Amir Khan. But also on this bill, Cecilia Baracus, 32 and 0, takes on Callie Reese, 13 and 6 with one draw. If you didn't know, Cecilia Baracus is literally the lady. I want to say the man of boxing, but she's the lady of the ladies part of boxing. She has the IBF, the IBO, the WBA, the WBO, and the WBC world welterweight titles. So she is an absolute star. Um, she's also trained by, of course, the former trainer of Vladimir Klitschko, Jonathan Banks, the former heavyweight contender himself. And that's it for that, Bill. Moving over now to the final fight to mention. This one happening in Uzbekistan at the Sport Palace. This is for the vacant WBC silver super middleweight title. In one corner, Azizbek Abdugoforov, who's 10-0. and 0. He takes on Dmitry Chudinov, 21-2 and 2 with two draws. That's the guy that, of course, lost to Chris Eubank Jr. A lot of people get confused with him and his brother, um, his brother Fedor Chudinov, the guy that lost to... To George Groves. But yeah, Dmitry Trudinov is kind of viewed as the guy who's not as good as his older brother or his younger brother, I'm not quite sure. But yeah, Dmitry Trudinov's still a decent fighter. He's put together a couple of wins recently. Um, he lost to Lalinga Mock, actually, um, earlier on this year, I should say, back in January. But he has got a win over the Brit basher, Sergei Kamitsky, back in February. Um, but yeah, this guy in the other corner, 10-0 and 0 he is, with four knockouts. I don't know too much about him. I know that he's 26 years old, and he's actually fought some strange opponents, even though he's only had 10 fights. He took on a guy in his third fight who was 17-0. and 0. He managed to knock him out in one round. And that was for the WBC Asian Boxing Council middleweight so that kind of got him highly ranked with the WBC in just his third fight, man. That's crazy. And then he took on a guy called Sirimonkon Lamfwam, who was 91-2, and two, and he beat that guy. And that was in his fifth fight, so quite unbelievable. Um, he also took on a guy called Martin Fidel Rios, who I remember had an absolute war with Jamie Cox back in 2016. 
Um, so yeah, he's fought some decent guys. He's been battle tested, I suppose, as is Beck Abdubfarov or whatever it is. So all the very best to him. All the very best to Dmitry Chudinov. May the best man win in that one. That's a 12 rounder, like I say, in Uzbekistan. And that is where we're going to finish there. That wraps up the previewing. We've done all the talking. We brought you the news. We brought you part one with the first guest and the reviewing. This is part two with the previewing. And of course, just before we conclude part two one last thing to do and that is of course to welcome our second and final guest ladies and gentlemen please welcome the former ibf world title challenger mr tony harrison tony welcome to the show oh thank you for having me my friend hey it's my pleasure my friend it's my pleasure so tony firstly i just want to revisit that fight that you had for the ibf title against Jarrett hurd it was just over a year ago mm-hmm. now and from what i remember of that fight you were you know you were able to outbox Jarrett hurd quite comfortably for the first half of the fight until you simply seemed to run out of gas and obviously was later stopped what do you remember most about that night back in february 2017 i mean i don't think tragedies you forget so you know, I remember a little bit of everything about it. So, you know, just ask me what you want to know, and then I'll, I'll be able to re- 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 reiterate it for you for sure. Well, I mean, just, you know, the, uh, you know, what basically happened in that fight. Like I say, I remember you winning that, uh, winning uh-huh. the early rounds very easily, it seemed. Well, I mean, it was, like I said, it was just another fight to me, man. It was, you know, it was going my way. You know, I was up on the judges' scorecards. You know, I just think you're hurt. You know, he's a, he's a very tricky guy not the strongest not the fastest mm, it, you know his his wheel his you know i i but really i don't think it had nothing to do with jerry i think it had everything to do with me um i think it was for me it was just uh a time where i feel like i overtrained you know it was my first title fight so for me i just thought if i climb mount everest you know it you know i was in shape you know what i mean but you know not knowing if i climb mount everest you know i I got to level out at some point, and I never leveled out. You know, I just kept pushing, 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 pushing. And then when fight week came, I just started coming down, started declining. You know what I mean? And um, I think it was just a thing where I overtrained. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, it came to to bite me in in the long run. Yeah, I think that's a valid point. Like I say, I feel that you were, you know, you were almost schooling him I'd even say I know that's quite a quite a harsh word to use but I would I would even say you were winning that clearly um obviously you know for those that may not know most people do know you were trained by the late great Emmanuel Stewart he was obviously arguably one of the best boxing trainers of all time tell us what that was like to you know to have him guide you for the early part of your career Tony oh man it was it was it was it was immaculate my relationship I had with Emmanuel was it was like um it was like, you know, older brother, younger brother. You know what I mean? It was it was more, you know, I mean, he walked outside of me rather than, you know, walk before me. You know what I mean? So he kinda showed me you know, he kinda showed me by walking outside of me and it was a uh, the relationship we had, you know, the communication. Um um, you know, it, it just went it went further than boxing. You know what I mean? I could always count on him and you know, um you know I, you know, the relationship I had with him, man, just, you know, you know, I, you know, I wish, you know, I wish he was still here, you know, so, um, you know, the guidance that he gave you, the wisdom that he gave you, you know, from all those world champions, you know what I mean? And, you know, for you to kind of be the last one, you know, he, you know, he had everything right. You know what I mean? He wasn't guessing no more. You know what I mean? He had, he had the remedy. He had the, he had the recipe. And, you know, when it came to me at the end, 
after making so many champions, all his mistakes was done. So all I could do was just listen. You know what I mean? Because you know he produced so many world champions. I knew I knew I would have been one. You know what I mean? All I had to do was just listen. You know what I mean? Because like I said, all the kinks were worked out. You know, and Tommy Hearns and all and all the rest of the world champions he had. So um, all I had to do was just sit back, listen, pay attention. And and the rest was history, man. And then, like I said, the knowledge that he that, that he was giving out, one of a kind. Yeah, it truly was. What a fantastic man and trainer. Um, obviously, that Cronk Gym being situated in your hometown of Detroit, I know it was one of the most reputable gyms around at the time. Who are some of the well-known names that you've sparred over the years, Tony? I'm sure there's probably a long list of them. Man, um... <laughs> I sparred K-9 world champion, yeah. Adonis Stevenson world champion, Andy Lee world champion, Klitschko world champion. Wow. Um, I'm, I'm sitting there trying to think everybody I sparred at Crunk, man. I, you know, um, I remember when I spoke everybody to everybody that's on. I spoke to I spoke to K9 before and I asked him if there was any you know crazy names that he sparred and he said that unbelievably he had once done some rounds with Tyson Fury which is just crazy. Is there any like that? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, that my 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 journey with Klitschko, you know what I mean, started off as just you know an adventure, man. It ended up as a relationship, you know what I mean. I still hold a, a good relationship with him to till to the day, and um. Like the experience that I've gotten, just being over there with him, not even sparring with him, not only sparring with him, but you know the atmosphere, the way he eat, the way he trained, the the schedule, the um, you know what I mean, the the arrangement, the 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 beauty of the teamwork, you know what I mean. I just you know I picked up so much from him, man, and you know that those were my best times. You know if I could take if I could take all that stuff back, you know. If I could pick one camp that I could stay in, it would have been his because it, it was such a, a great atmosphere, man. And it, it just lets you know all the world champions. And, you know, I got the opportunity to meet Wilder over there. And I came good relationship with him and Tyson Fury and and Dylan White. And and, and like I said, Bob, uh, uh, Big Baby Miller, all those guys I ended up meeting through, through the Klitschko camps, man. And I, I still hold good relationship with these guys to this day. And, um, and just let me know, like, the top-notch part. And, and look at these guys today. These guys are world champions and top ones and twos and threes uh, are sanctioning bodies, man. And it just showed me, like, dang, this guy, is, his sparring partners are the best. You know what I mean? So, like I said, every, every uh, like, I, I just soak that stuff in, man. And, you know, my, my countless times with him, man, are, are unforgivable. I pay a million dollars to do it again all over again. <laughs> And of course, getting down to business now, you will be fighting on Bounce TV against Ishe Smith on May 11th. We had Ishe on our show last week, and I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked him. What do you know about your opponent here, Tony? You know, he's a former world champion. Um, he, he got his belt in Detroit. You know, he beat our, our guy, um, our, 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 our old stablemate, uh, K-9. Yeah. Uh, he's tough. He's never been stopped. He, you know, he, he's, he's one of those guys that's tricky. You know what I mean? He's tricky. He's not the fastest, not the strongest. But, you know, um, but just like you heard, the willpower those guys can possess, you know, they possess the will to, to compete and win. You know what I mean? Um, not a guy that I would pick to just watch on a daily basis, though. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't really know too much about him as far as fighting-wise because I, 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 you know, I was there at the K-9 fight. 
but it was so long ago. And, it, you know, the fight is always different when you see it in person yeah. than when you watch it. And I haven't watched it, you know what I mean? I just, you know, just kind of remember vivid glances of it, you know, um, from a long time ago. And um, I actually watched him with the, uh, the Julian Williams fight. And um, it, it was it was a very entertaining fight, man. It just showed me that, you know, you can never count somebody out. You know what I mean? As you know, through age, through through the athleticism, through all that. You know, you can't count nobody out who has the will and desire to win. So, you know, he comes to compete each and every time, and you know, um, he paved his way. And um, you know, it's a lot of people that that look up to E.J. Smith, and like I said, he's a former world champion, and, and it's a it's a lot of people in the, in 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 the world who who wish they could be a world champion. So, you know, all kudos to him, and. and you know, this is a fight for me that I, that I want. And when I asked him that question about you, he said that, you know, you were a, uh, you were a consummate professional. He said that he knows that you're young and hungry and he's expecting a good fight and all the rest of that. Um, what should the fans expect to see from yourself come fight night, Tony? Oh, man, it's, it's going to be fireworks, man. Like I said, I, I, I kind of, myself, I was expecting me to say Smith, you know, this is kind of like a last rodeo for him. You know, he's older, and, you know, he he wants another crack at a world title, and so do I. So, you know, this is a crossing road for both of us. You know what I mean? So so we both kind of need this fight. You know, he needs me for for youth and, and, and hunger to show that he still can compete with, 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 with the youth and hunger. And I need him for the 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 name and, and the and – the, and the experience, you know, the experience part to become a world champion. So I think we both need each other, man. So I, I, I don't think it's, I don't, I don't think it's, I think it's going to be pushing gear from both of us. You know what I mean? I think it's going to be competition, the competitiveness for both of us will, will, will raise from round one, you know what I mean? All the way to round 10. So I think, um, I think for me to go to Vegas and do it, you know, I have to stay on my ground a little more. I have to, I have to, I have to earn my respect, you know what I mean? Because, the moment, the moment you kind of let up and, and, and let Ronald slip away, you know, you never know how the Ronald's going in, in Vegas. You never know how they, how they judge this thing. So for me to do it in Vegas, you know, I have to be a little more assertive and a little more aggressive. And I know he's going to be aggressive because that's him every fight. So, um, like I said, I, I think you're gonna, you, you should expect fireworks from round one. Yeah, it's funny that you should mention the judge in there. Um, when I when I spoke to Ishe, he was ranting on about a uh, you know about the bad judging at the moment for Las Vegas. He was saying that he almost feels like he's an away fighter when he's fighting there, which is crazy. But that's another story. Mm-hmm. Um, Ishe has obviously been, you know, he, he's been a sound defensive fighter for a long time. He's got a good engine. He's very experienced. He's never been stopped, like you said. You're known to have real power in your hands. Do you believe that you can become the first man to stop Ishe, Tony? I think I'm, I could be the first one to stop anybody. You know what I mean? I just think it's, for me, man, it's just, you know, uh, just relaxing a lot more. You know what I mean? And just letting the fight come to me and um, not looking for the knockout and just, you know, let the knockout come and just pacing myself and, and picking my shots and, and picking when to, when to throw the shot, you know, the hardest, picking when to throw the shot with speed. And, and that's what we've been working on. We've just been working on a lot of good time and a lot of good rhythms. And um and I, and I think I'd be I I think I think I'd be I could be the first one to stop you chasing that. Yeah, it'd certainly be a huge accomplishment if you if you did do that. Um, 
I want to ask you also, is a future fight we've heard a must for you? How badly do you want to avenge that defeat? Man, listen to me. I've seen uh, my next fight. I think me and her fought on the same card. Um, he fought Trout. And we ended up riding in the bus together. And, you know, that was my first question. If I said her, give me another shot at it. And he said, you know, I'm not running for nobody. You know, uh, I, you know. I said, I, I know you're not running for nobody. I just want another shot. Give me another shot at it. Give me another crack at it. And, you know, he said, you know what I mean, he would think about it. So, you know, for me, man, I, I just think the the fight, you know, I think Jerry Hurd makes for a good fight with anybody the way his style is. So, um, for 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 both of us, you know, I still I still want I still got a lot of questions that I need answers to for that fight. You know what I mean? And I don't know for him because he lost a lot of rounds early, so. You know what I mean? I, I don't think he lost that many rounds early to nobody else. You know what I mean? I'm talking about shutting out. I was shut out six, seven rounds to zip. You know what I mean? So, you know, I don't know if he have answers for himself to, to kind of, you know, say, you know, um, could I do it again? But I have answers for myself because I want to see if he could do it again. You know what I'm saying? So that's, now I'm competing with myself, so now I want answers for myself mentally. You know what I mean? To 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 get that fight, but you know, the boxing game ain't the same boxing game that it was in the 80s. You know what I mean? There's, you know, rematches ain't, ain't as easy as they used to be. You know, when, when, when fighters used to shake hands and do it, you know, um, everything is more business-wise. So, but, you know, if I, if I could get it tomorrow, I, I would want it tomorrow. Yeah, I'd certainly, I'd certainly like to see that rematch, to be honest with you. Now, most people would say that now Erislandi Lara has been knocked off of his throne, the two best fighters at 154 are probably Jamel Charlo and Jarrett Hurd. If those two were to end up fighting at some point, we'd all love to see that fight, I'm sure. Who would you favor going into that huge fight? Wow, that's... You know, I think uh, when you get to the top, man, I just think... Uh... Everybody that's top ten right now, I think every fight is fifty fifty. Especially with Jer Hur, I just think every fight for him is fifty fifty, man. I just think uh, his style is so fifty fifty ish because of his style. You know what I mean? It's just he wants he wants to break your wheel. You know what I mean? And 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 and, and in breaking your wheel, he he takes a lot of shots. You know what I mean? So um, Charlo has been looking good lately, and um, but you know, I don't, I don't think his will has ever been pushed, you know, by somebody uh, uh, the stature of Jared Hurd, you know, with size and, and and pushing you around, and you know, the who shots ain't, you know, and like I said, he's not the hardest puncher, but the volume of punches that he throws that he throws is kind of what throws you off, you know what I mean? And but I, I like I said, I think fifty fifty five. I think you know, both both of those guys possess attributes to be to be one another but you know what i mean but the, but the style of jerry Hurd, i think for anybody fighting him who who was able to move who was able to possess a, a nice amount of power i think he his fight with with anybody would be 50 50 not to go too much off topic but um your fight with 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 jarrett Hurd kind of reminded me a lot like you may have not seen this fight, but when Jamel Charlo took on John Jackson, did you happen to see that one? Yeah. Time? Yeah. I think yeah, I think right. yeah. John Jackson was, was having his way with him really. He was outboxing him yeah. and then he just suddenly out of nowhere a huge shock knockout, mm -hmm. you know? And uh, Right, right. Yeah, it was a late knockout. So that I think those two fights are 
are um, pretty similar, really. I think both guys can be outboxed at times, and obviously they've got the power as well, um, even late on exactly. in the fight. So a brilliant, brilliant style matchup that would be. Coming down to the last couple of things now, Tony, anything that you want to say before we let you go to your UK fans? I know that the, uh, you know, I'm sure you know, the UK fans are uh, some of the best fans in the world. I'm sure you've got many over oh, there. What's your message to those guys? Man, uh, just tell them I appreciate the support, man, through through the good and the bad, you know, I pre- I appreciate it. You know, I, I love everything about the UK. I love everything about flying overseas and doing anything. You know what I mean? The 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 people are lovely. The atmosphere is lovely, and um, uh, I, you know, like I said, from for all my true fans, uh, just just stick with us. You know, our journey ain't over. We're only twenty eight years old. Um, we're about to be twenty eight. So I was gonna only twenty seven years old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're only 27 years old, so we still got a lot left. You know what I mean? And um, I think the prime is just kicking in with the wisdom and experience. Everything is starting to click for me. Team Harrison and Team Superbad, we all can expect good things. And, you know, like I said, I, continue, I, I love the, and appreciate the support that every that all my UK fans show me on Instagram and Twitter. And, and, and like I said, uh, just, just, just stick around because the, the best is yet to come. Absolutely well said. And for those that may be listening that want to get on the bandwagon and want to follow Tony Harrison's journey, you can follow him on Twitter. He's got probably one of the best Twitter names out there, actually. His Twitter is at I am boxing. What a name that is, Tony. You were lucky to get that one, man. I'm sure a lot of a lot of man, boxers would like to take it. Man, that. I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I got it like uh, five, six years ago when when you know when I first started my Twitter, probably a little earlier, like five, six years ago. Excellent. And what's the Instagram handle for those that want to follow that? My Instagram handle is Made in Detroit 1990. Made in Detroit 1990. Absolutely. 1990. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. But listen, Tony, it's been a real pleasure having you on. Thank you for your time. Best of luck for May 11th. I truly mean that. And we'll catch up sometime afterwards, I'm sure. Thank you, please. Thank you for the interview. And um, like I said, let's let's catch up again after the fight, man. And, you know, you, you can shoot your uh, critiques at me. I always love to critique. And uh, critique myself, and, and and when others critique me, so and to all my UK fans that that won't answer to to questions they have, you know, let's do it one more time at the fight. Okay, and this wraps up episode 133 of the Box Hard Podcast. I've been your host, Joey Coastman. I, as Sumra, has been I, as Sumra. While we've been recording the show, another piece of news has been confirmed. Lawrence Okoli will be fighting Luke the Duke Watkins on Wednesday, June 6th at Bethnal Green's York Hall Arena. That fight will be for Luke's Commonwealth Cruiserweight title and Lawrence's WBA Continental Cruiserweight title. Also, the man that is Chaofon Moonsri, also known as Wanheng Menayofin or Wanheng Kai Yong Hadojim, I think it said, has moved to 50 and 0. He defended successfully his WBC minimum weight world title yesterday against Leroy Estrada by stopping Estrada in the fifth round. Amazing stuff there. He's now equaled Floyd Mayweather's undefeated record and also, talking of big records one that I forgot from earlier Ashley Theophane picked up win number 42 inside his 51 fights. He's now had more fights than his promoter Floyd Mayweather. That win by the way came by decision over 8 rounds against Larry Smith last Saturday in New Hampshire. 
I'd like to thank our two guests on this week's show, though, the former WBA junior middleweight world champion Austin Trout and the former IBF junior middleweight world title challenger Tony Harrison. There are six points up for grabs on the Prediction League this weekend. Best of luck to everybody involved in that. Thank you all for listening. Enjoy the fights on Saturday, and we will catch up with you all next week.